Hi, and welcome to the Week in Women. I'm your host, Jill Filipovich. As a reminder, paid subscribers to jill.substack.com get the Week in Women early, delivered to your inbox every Friday. So if you want to listen before everyone else, head to jill.substack.com to sign up. And I'm sorry that this week the podcast is coming out a little bit late. I moved house and have had house guests, and I can't find my mic in any of my boxes. So things are just a little bit hectic, but getting back on board recording, and I thank you for your patience. The Week in Women is a rundown of the week's most important international gender and women's rights stories, followed by a deeper dive into a single issue. This week, you will hear about how women in Afghanistan are struggling one year after the U.S. withdrawal, abortion drama in Nebraska and Louisiana and various other U.S. states, and how Latino voters may be reshaping the political calculus on abortion rights. Let's get started. A year after the U.S. withdrawal, the situation in Afghanistan is a full-on catastrophe, especially for women. A Human Rights Watch report documents vast media suppression, indiscriminate torture, execution of critics, vast hunger, and extreme crackdowns on women's rights. Girls in Afghanistan are almost universally denied access to secondary school. Women are barred from traveling or even going to work without a male companion, which means that most of them cannot work or even leave the house and many jobs have been closed to them anyway. Healthcare in Afghanistan was already poor. Maternal and infant mortality rates shot up during the first era of Taliban rule, and while the numbers improved over the past two decades, they remained pretty disastrous. But the situation has gotten far worse, particularly for pregnant women. And now, a great many women are simply stuck, with few rights and little hope for the future. Some of them are still hoping to get out, maybe to the U.S., but many are realizing that the world has lost interest and most countries have simply closed their doors. Speaking of violent misogynist extremists with too much power, a court in Saudi Arabia has sentenced doctoral student and women's rights advocate Salma al-Shahab to 34 years in prison for tweeting. After she was first sentenced to six years in prison, a prosecutor asked the court to, quote, amend the sentence in light of her support for those who are trying to cause disorder and destabilize society, as shown by her following and retweeting Twitter accounts. Her crime was nothing more than tweeting and following accounts the Saudi government doesn't approve of. Al-Shahab has two sons, aged four and six, and is a researcher at Leeds University in Britain. She was detained while vacationing in Saudi Arabia with her family. In Utah, parents whose daughters lost to a superior athlete demanded an investigation into whether or not the winning girl was trans. And the school actually complied, looking into the girl's enrollment records, and found that she had been enrolled as a girl since she entered the school district in kindergarten. In other words, she wasn't trans, just good at sports. Parents had complained that the girl, quote, didn't look female enough. An important reminder that policing femininity is not good for anyone. In Nebraska, a teenage girl and her mother are facing criminal charges after the teenager allegedly took pills to induce an abortion, 
and after Facebook provided prosecutors with messages between the girl and her mom discussing procuring the pills. The girl's abortion happened much later than is usually recommended for a medication abortion. She was in the beginning of her third trimester, and medication abortion is typically not recommended past 13 weeks. But as often happens in cases of teen pregnancies, teens are scared and inexperienced and, frankly, often terrible at risk management and cost-benefit analysis. She may not have known she was pregnant, or she may have been scared and embarrassed and so delayed telling her mom. Either way, she ended the pregnancy, and then she and her mother disposed of the fetal remains. It's a highly unusual situation, but it does demonstrate just how vulnerable women are to tech companies that have so much of our data and communication and will comply with law enforcement. Putting the facts of this specific case aside, the reality is that Facebook turned over messages about an abortion to those authorities, and those messages are now being used to try that girl as an adult and to charge her mother with several felonies. What's to say that the company won't behave similarly in states where abortion is outlawed wholesale and a woman obtains pills to end a pregnancy at, say, six weeks? The reality is that companies have few options when it comes to complying with subpoenas and search warrants. The only real option for privacy is for them to not collect and store our data. But that, of course, could impact their bottom line. We are all vulnerable when big tech owns our communication, tracks our location, and stores our data. And people of reproductive age who may end pregnancies are among the most vulnerable of all. An article published this month in the medical journal JAMA Oncology and written by two doctors at UC San Francisco details the ways in which abortion restrictions may compromise care for people with cancer and may cost some of them their lives. According to the article, roughly one in a thousand pregnancies come along with a cancer diagnosis. Between 9 and 28% of those cases ends with an abortion, sometimes late in pregnancy, if that's when the cancer is found. But states now banning abortion are overwhelmingly doing so without including an exception for the pregnant woman's health or for serious fetal anomaly, meaning that having cancer and, say, needing chemotherapy likely won't qualify a person for a legal abortion in a strict anti-abortion state. And if states pass anti-abortion personhood laws, getting chemotherapy while pregnant could put a woman at risk for being prosecuted criminally. Stories about these broad, unintended consequences of abortion bans are beginning to feel ubiquitous. But that's because abortion bans have so many unintended consequences. A Louisiana woman is speaking out about her state's abortion ban after she learned, at 13 weeks pregnant, that her fetus does not have a skull and will live for at most a few minutes after birth. Despite this devastating condition, she cannot legally end her pregnancy in Louisiana because the state criminalizes abortion even in cases of severe fetal anomaly. Most of Louisiana's neighbors either already outlaw abortion or have a 15-week cutoff which doesn't give this woman much time to make a plan. It's worth noting that a great many fetal anomalies are not detectable until the second or even third trimester of pregnancy, and that many of the new state laws criminalizing abortion do not offer exceptions even where a fetus is going to die in utero or soon after birth. And traveling for a procedure is simply out of reach for many women, 
It requires spending into the thousands of dollars for flights, gas, a hotel for several nights, and then the procedure itself, which may not be covered under a woman's health insurance, particularly if she lives in a conservative state. Plus, there's the barrier of taking time off work and finding childcare. All of that means that we're walking into a dark new phase of inequality, where wealthier women who have pregnancies that go tragically wrong will be able to get care, albeit expensively, while poor women will be forced to carry doomed pregnancies to term and birth stillborn babies. One basic assumption of American politics is that Latino voters largely cast their ballots for Democrats because of Republican racism, but that Latinos are actually socially conservative, Catholic, and anti-abortion, and therefore gettable by the GOP if the GOP would just stop all the racism. But a new poll from two Latino civil rights organizations casts doubt on that conclusion. Latino voters, they found, put abortion in their top five issues, and they're overwhelmingly pro-choice. More than 70% of those who responded to the survey said that abortion should be legal. And perhaps unsurprisingly, Latinas are particularly pro-choice. 80% said no matter how they personally feel about the procedure, the government should not criminalize it. And for today's deeper dive into a single story, I want to talk about the 16-year-old girl in Florida who was recently denied an abortion after a court found that she was not mature enough to make the decision herself. Now, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right, to say that a 16-year-old is too immature to decide that she wants to keep her life as is, but is mature enough to go through the risk of childbirth, have a child, and then become a teenage mother before she's ready. The girl in question doesn't have parents. She is being cared for by a guardian, and the guardian is reportedly on board with this girl ending her pregnancy. A Florida court, however, has told her she can't do that. And yes, this is, of course, about rank hypocrisy. It's totally asinine to say that someone can't decide to end a pregnancy, but can indeed be mature enough to be a mother, something that takes much more maturity and much more skill and much more investment and involvement and certainly money than deciding to end a pregnancy and keep one's life the same. But it's also important to emphasize that this Florida court has now put this girl's life at risk. Teen pregnancies are riskier than pregnancies among adult women. Teens are not necessarily physically developed enough to safely carry a pregnancy. And so as a result, you see that in adolescent pregnancies, you have much higher rates of a whole series of complications, including things like preeclampsia and eclampsia that are life-threatening. And as a result, you see higher maternal mortality rates among adolescent mothers. You also see all kinds of complications for children born to adolescent mothers, and particularly for children who are born to adolescent and teen moms who would have preferred to not carry those pregnancies to term. Children born to adolescent mothers have on average lower birth rates than children born to adult women. They tend to not do as well in school. They're more likely to be raised in a situation where their mother is still tethered to an abusive partner. They have worse health outcomes. Their mothers have worse health outcomes. It's bad all around. And so not only is this Florida court stripping this teenage girl of her really basic right to make a decision about her own body, 
and to continue steering the ship of her own future, it also is putting her life at risk and it's putting her health at risk. And it's making it much less likely that she will, for example, be able to graduate from high school, let alone college, that she'll be able to pursue the kind of career or a job or a life or partner that she wants. This court is telling her she's not mature enough to make those decisions. But she is mature enough to force into pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. And this is frankly just the kind of nonsensical, cruel, and misogynist reality of anti-abortion laws. In 21 states, teenagers have to get their parents' consent to end a pregnancy. It was true even before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade that in a great number of U.S. states, teenagers couldn't decide for themselves whether or not to end an unwanted pregnancy. We don't let parents, for example, force teenagers into abortions, nor should we. I think all of us would hear a story like that and decide it's monstrous. And yet the state does allow parents to force their minor children to risk their lives in pregnancy and childbirth and become parents before they're ready. It's unconscionable. And I wrote about this story in The Guardian last week and emphasized that Decisions like this one will drive young people to bypass the courts entirely. They may try to take matters into their own hands, and hopefully they will know how to do so safely, but chances are some of them may not. So this is putting the lives of adolescents and teenagers at direct risk. And as I wrote in the Guardian piece, that's a lot to put on a girl who allegedly isn't mature enough to have a medical procedure utilized by one in four women worldwide. Not mature enough for an abortion, but mature enough for a child? It simply defies reason. And that is perhaps because it's not about reason or maturity at all. It's about control and a court imposing its misogynist anti-abortion ideology on a teenager who came to them for help. And that's it for the Week in Women this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. As a reminder, you can get the Week in Women early if you subscribe to jill.substack.com. And I always appreciate it if you rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye.